Welcome into another edition of Ask the Experts. Thanks so much for joining us on Day Calendar. And with me on the show today, uh, back with us, Faisal Suzuwala, Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty, online at homeshack.com or call him at 519-624-5555. Faisal, good to see you again. Great to see you, David. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, looking forward again to the day that we'll get to do this at the radio station in person. Uh, but for the moment, uh, things are looking up. Uh, I've, I assume you've uh, you continued to be very, very busy. It has been a very busy year uh, leading up to almost now. We've had nonstop uh, increases, activity, uh, still lack of listings. So the market has been very strong, a little bit of a a calming effect uh, coming into the start of school, but uh, things are starting to ramp right up again. Well, then let's talk a little bit more about the, the market, get an update. What is the current market like compared to the spring and summer? So spring and summer, we, we saw unprecedented increases in sales. Uh, prices have been up as high as 40% in some regions. Um, our, you know, the Tri-Cities, uh, plus Guelph has been just thriving. Uh, we've seen the multiple offers starting to decline as we come into September, but the prices have not declined. Prices have held steady. So the number of offers that we're getting on the table may not be as, as many quantity wise, but the actual numbers that we're getting are still holding up. So we're seeing that pattern continue. Uh, the catalyst there is the lack of inventory. As long as there's no listings on the market, those who are looking at buying are still going to be uh, paying top dollar because it's a limited commodity right now. And uh, we're still seeing that influx of buyers coming in from, you know, Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington. Um, that's just going to continue. So uh, what can we expect then is uh, we're heading into the fall now and then eventually into the winter. So coming into the fall, you're going to expect a lot of people wanting to move in before Christmas. So that's going to be the next wave, which has already started. Now, traditionally, we would see a lot of relocation activity happening this time of year where people are coming in for corporate relocations, jobs and whatnot. But with the work at home environment that we've had, which I suspect is going to start changing, it's gonna become more of a hybrid model. We're going to see people coming in two to three days to the offices because they think they're missing that collaboration that they used to have in that team environment. and. That's something that may change the landscape of the audience that we have, and it may change the amount of activity. But coming into the fall market, what we're going to see essentially is buyers who are now being more thoughtful in their offers. They're not paying those exuberant values that they were paying in the spring and in the summer because the competition is less. We'll also see that the asking price on homes will start increasing to where the expectation is. Now, that's not to say that the values are going to go up. It's just going to be an increase in the asking price so that the above asking that the home sells for may not be, you know, 10 or 15% more than they were asking. It may only be 5 or 7%. 
that's where the opportunity is going to come in to a buyer to have a little bit of extra time, put some more thought behind their offers, not feel the pressure, not be under this duress of there's 10 offers, you better, better make a decision. We may see conditional offers resurfacing on the, in the marketplace where people will say, I want to do a condition on financing or inspection, or I need, a, I need to sell my home just to ensure that I have the funding available to close on this transaction. So thoughtfulness will start entering the market. The chaos may start declining. This will be short-lived. So let's not get very excited and say, well, the market's going to slow down to a point where decline will happen in values. What will happen is as we ramp up for the spring market, people will start making improvements to their homes and getting them ready for that. And we will see that frenzy back into the marketplace coming into March, April, May. And as I've said in the past, this is not a bubble. This is us catching up to where we should have been all along. While our neighbors were increasing in price, we were not. We were going up modestly, 3%, 4% annually, while our neighbors were going up 10 to 12%. We've just caught up for all the years that we didn't have those increases. It seems every time we do the show, the term uh, inventory comes up. Is there anything being done, anything on the horizon that, that might solve the inventory problem or at least bump it up a bit? Well, if you're following the politicians, they're making a lot of promises and, uh, you know, uh, promising to bring in affordable housing, promising to bring in uh, more development, uh, intensification. However, there's a disconnect when it comes from government provincially and federally pol policies to municipal policies. When you get to the municipal level, there is such a resistance on development. There's such a resistance on allowing infill lots. There's so much red tape that one has to get through to get an approval on even a simple lot severance. It's time for the municipalities to start looking at how can we make it easier to create affordable housing allow more intensification, allow infill developments. And what I mean by that is, if you are sitting in a property that has an 80 by 100 foot lot, and your home sits on one side of that lot, let's say on the, on the 40 feet, why not allow that homeowner to sever 40 feet off and build a home and sell that home at an affordable price? It's still gravy to the homeowner because it's money that they had sitting in land that they weren't essentially using at this point. And it's no different than the whole tiny home concept in a way that we've talked about previously. But I'm just saying there's gotta be a creative way to create intensification, higher density and more development without resistance from the municipalities. It just seems that uh, again, every time we talk, there's more people out there saying, I'll never be able to get into a house at this point. Is there still an opportunity out there for buyers to get a reasonable deal on a purchase right now? If there is a time, it's now. And I say this because the frenzy is out of the market right now. The amount of people tripping over each other has really slowed down. So there is time now to start really looking at the opportunities, looking at the homes that have been sitting there. So it's not necessarily a situation where you see a new home comes on the market and you're tripping over each other to get to it and make a bully offer or a preemptive offer as we call it. Um, take a step back, 
monitor it. You may miss one, you may miss two, but monitor, monitor the days on market, monitor the price reductions or whatever activity is happening. Look at the homes that are having conditional offers that are falling through. Then take the opportunity to submit your offers. And that's where you're going to see uh, a little bit more value come to the buyers. And again, the buyers are going to have uh, an opportunity to pause and really think about their decisions and definitely will not end up overpaying. Again, this is something I expect to happen for the next three to four months. Coming into February and March, hold on to your hats because things are going to get crazy again. And let's uh, turn things over to sellers with this next question. What should sellers be doing right now if they're preparing for the spring? Unless a seller needs to sell right now because they've already bought a home or they have some commitments, uh, we're, we're suggesting to people to wait. Uh, don't be in a hurry to sell right now. But what they should be doing is preparing to sell in the spring market. Um, by that, what I mean is get your lawns ready, get your gardening done, get any of those jobs that you've been putting off, taking care of any exterior painting that you want to do. Because when you come into March, April, the weather is not going to be very cooperative in allowing you to do all of those little jobs. So those of us who are waiting to you know, add the deck or fix the fence um, with lumber prices, I know a lot of us put projects on hold. This is really the time for the next couple of months to get all of that done. Get an evaluation done on your home now. Prepare for next year. Build in the value increases that we're expecting, whether it's 3% or 5%. And let's look at what real-time value is today. Add a factor to that. But know what you're dealing with. Be informed so that when you are ready to hit the market next spring, you're hitting the ground running. You're not thinking about what do I need to do to get ready at this point. Um, Get the photographs done, get virtual tours done, get drone videos done of your property. This, especially with all the rain we've had, the lawns are looking fantastic. Uh, we're coming into a season where we can really take advantage of the beauty of, of property. So get that done. I'm doing that for many of my clients right now. We're doing all the exterior photographs, drone videos, so that when we want to market the property in the spring, we can show off the swimming pool and the patios and the decks and all of that. Because all of that money that you've spent is going to be covered with snow and leading into prime time of selling, which is going to start February and really ramp up in March and April. Welcome back to the show. Faisal Suziwala is my guest, Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty, and of course, best-selling author as well. We should mention we'll talk about the book a little later on, the uh, as well, the real deal. If you'd like to get in touch with Faisal, uh, you know, especially if you'd like to look up more information as you listen to the show today, you can just fire up your web browser and go to homeshack.com or call 519-624-5555. You have been uh, in the biz now for around 33 years. And uh, uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, the history of that, your background, and what, what got you into real estate. Well, I was a very young high school student. I was 18 years old. In fact, I was actually 17 years old when I stumbled across a television show. It was one of those infomercials, and there was a gentleman sitting on his yacht, uh, talking about how he invested money in real estate and has done so well. And I'm thinking, I want to be that guy. 
And uh, off I went into doing some research on how to learn a little bit about real estate. And that brought me into uh, Conestoga College uh, over the summer of 1988, um, when I enrolled in a real estate course, not really understanding that it was a licensing course. I thought it was a more of a get rich quick course on learning about real estate and how it all works and how investing works. So I, I got into it, believe it or not, by mistake, because I didn't know what I was uh, signing up for. And when I spoke to some of the uh, students that were in my class who were quite a bit older than I was, they were all there to get a real estate license. So the course led to that and I finished my course and uh, went back to finish high school where a friend of mine uh, said his dad owns a brokerage, I should go talk to him and uh, see if he'll take me on as an agent. I thought, oh, can't hurt. So I walked down Water Street from Galt Collegiate and knocked on the sales office door and asked them if they'd give me a job. And they said, you look like you're 12. There's no way that you're going to make it in this business. So while I was waiting for the bus to pick me up, I remembered that a friend of my dad's was a realtor, Mr. Reed Maneri. And I asked Mr. Maneri if he um, remembered my dad. And he, of course he did. And uh, he was 74 at the time. I was 18 at the time. And uh, I asked him if he would take me on as a realtor and uh, or license me as a real estate agent. And he said, well, I'm about to retire, but I'll stay on for a bit and help you out. And he became my mentor and my friend. And I learned so much from him. Um, and that's how I got started in the business. That, that is, it's great that you happen to think of him. Because imagine what, what would have been different if, if he hadn't been willing to help you out. Has that led you to wanting to mentor people uh, yourself? It has. It really has. In fact, that was the, you know, there, there are certain times in your life that something will happen that will change the trajectory of your entire life. And there are turning points that we have, you know, when you have kids, when you get married, when you get divorced, when a death occurs, there are certain turning points in your life and how you embrace those turning points and what you do with those will really mold your future, good or bad. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful that I had Mr. Maneri to hold my hand as a young man. And he was a very ethical, very, very ethical and well-respected member of the community. Um, and I learned a lot from him and I certainly hold on to those lessons and he was truly my mentor. In fact, the first chapter in my book is about Mr. Maneri and, and the lessons that I learned from him. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit more about what you've learned and what has changed. I mean, uh, the entire real estate business has changed and evolved drastically over 33 years. Maybe you can walk us through your experience and tell us about what, what the changes you've seen. So first of all, the, the biggest change is how we get licensed. Now, back in the old days, you know, if you had a if you had a pulse, you could get a real estate license. Then came licensing, and I was one of the lucky ones that only had to go to real estate school for six weeks, and I got a real estate license from from those six weeks, and that was a summer course that I took in between grade twelve and at the time Ontario Academic Credit uh, at GCI. So I I took it in the summer, and that led to licensing. Today. Um, and over the years, more and more courses have been added. 
the length of time that's required to get your license has increased significantly. It can take up to a year. Uh, there's correspondence available now. There's all kinds of different ways in which to get it. And then there's continuing education that is required for all of us, which is very important. But just the licensing itself, back in those days, I think it was the Ministry of Consumer and Commercial Relations that would license you. Today, it's RICO, which is the Real Estate Council of Ontario for, for anybody that's in Ontario. Um, so, you know, a lot of government uh, interaction has changed in licensing. Um, the business has become a profession. Uh, it's not something as simple as just, you know, filling out a form and getting a license and, and going ahead and doing the business, which is great because it does, it keeps the integrity of the business up, it keeps the professionalism up, and um, I'm happy that the licensing requirements have increased to a point where they're really vetting who is able to sell real estate, and it's going to get tougher. Uh, and so it should, because I know as an 18 year old, when I started in this business, I had no idea what so much, uh, legislation rules, uh, procedures, and just, you know, simple things that you need to know. Um, you can't pick that up in six weeks. And you say that you have to do continuing education. How does that work? And does someone monitor that? Are you required to do it? Yes, so every two years, Real Estate Council of Ontario requires you to sit online and do uh, a series of courses and submit them. They're monitored by RICO. And if you do not complete your courses, you will not be able to practice real estate. Your license will be paused until you complete those courses. If you don't complete those courses, in a prescribed amount of time after they have become due, you could potentially lose your license and have to start all over again. So it is very important and that's something that it's very serious. And that's something that I think a lot of the uh, industry or the people in the communities don't understand that this is something that we're required to do. And there's a, a, a continuation of education and courses that are credit-based that we have to take in order to maintain our licenses. What sort of things uh, would you be learning? What, what do you need to upgrade? A lot of it has is transactional. It's about, you know, procedures, clauses, ethics, um, you know, what you can do, what you cannot do. And it's a refresher. It's basically all the things that we've learned that we may have forgotten about that you're reminded of. And the ethics part of it is really the key here. Um, how you should be dealing with the consumers, how you should be dealing with your clients, um, all of that. And, you know, in, in a high flying industry, as the real estate industry has become and, and the fast pace of, of our real estate industry, it's sometimes difficult to remember, uh, you know, who are you working for? Who, whose interest are you really representing? And are you representing fairly and honestly? Or are you doing something that is unethical? And this is, you know, and we've talked about this on previous shows, that there's a lot of interactions that are going on in the industry that are quite questionable. And you wonder, you know, how is that even possible? So it's nice to have these courses to refresh. Thanks so much for joining us today on Ask the Experts. My guest is Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty. You can call him anytime at 519-624-5555 
or learn more online at his website, homeshack.com. Very easy to remember. Uh, if you've just joined us this hour on the show, we're, we're kind of going over the past 33 years of Faisal's uh, career and learning a little bit more about what has changed during those 33 years. And it really is kind of dramatic in some, some places. Let's, let's talk next about the demographics of, of realtors. They, I, I certainly have seen a lot more diversity on realtors who are advertising out in the community. Yes. It's interesting. Um, when I started in the business, I was the youngest realtor ever licensed in the area and probably in the province at, at 18 years old. Now we are seeing more and more younger people coming into the business uh, straight out of high school, straight uh, out of college, out of university. Young people are really embracing this and enjoying this topic and, and, and this career and, and certainly are coming to the market. You mentioned diversity. In those days, again, we're talking 30, 35 years ago, you didn't see a lot of visible minorities in this business. You saw your typical um, agent was not a person of color. Um, and now you're, you're seeing a lot more of that because the industry has evolved to a point where a lot of immigration has happened and a lot of members of those communities uh, felt there, there was a gap in representation and there wasn't that comfort level in being able to communicate, especially if, if English was a second language. That's one of the advantages that I had early on in my years that I spoke four different languages coming right into the business. So anyone that was coming into Cambridge, for example, that um, wasn't able to communicate properly in English, I was able to communicate with them. And that we're seeing a lot more of today. So there's definitely be, been an evolution in the demographic, the age, the diversity, ethnicity, all of that has really evolved. And it's nice to see that there's so many different cultures now being represented in, in the real estate industry. Uh, another thing where drastic changes happen, and as with most things, the internet changed an awful lot is, is how marketing of real estate is done. What are some of the differences you've seen since you started? Back in the day, everything was paper advertising, newspapers, you know, you had the home finders with the penny saver. And I, I can name, you know, hundreds of different literatures that were the, the, the newspapers that were uh, prominent in posting real estate uh, listings. Today, what's happened is all of that has switched to digital. And you have to cater to an audience where they are present. They're not picking up newspapers anymore. They are going to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google, search engines, and that's where they're getting their information from. I was very lucky to adopt the online digital marketing platform very, very early on. Uh, I believe it was eight years ago that I pulled all of my marketing from print straight to uh, digital. And I started engaging very early on with the social media platforms, which allowed me to be relevant and stay top of mind. Because, you know, just think most of us get up in the morning and instead of watching, you know, the news or listening to the radio first thing in the morning, of course, we all listen to 570. But beyond that, um, 
we're looking at and scrolling through our social media feeds. Now, if my ads are popping up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google, there's a captive audience that I've got that I'm able to now relate to and engage with. So media marketing is now more prominent through digital sources. And then beyond that, you're seeing a lot more billboards and buses and park benches and a lot more sort of uh, visible pollution of marketing that's going on. But what that is, is really passive and subconscious marketing so that you are again, top of mind. Recall, it's like the that elevator music in the background, you don't really think about it until you need to sort of listen to something and that's when you hear it. And that's the same that goes for marketing. We're sort of just there in the background, but everybody is sort of aware of your presence. I still remember though, back in the day when the idea of having a, a virtual home tour online, like watching a video of someone's house was brand new and exciting. Now it's pretty much a prerequisite, isn't it? Absolutely. If you're not doing that, how are you getting in front of the buyer? Because the buyer is sitting there waiting for that to pop up on their screen. And it's like, if you know, whether you're buying a car or whatever you're buying, if you don't see before, if you didn't see a picture, you didn't want to be bothered looking at that property or looking at that car. Now, if you don't see a virtual tour beyond that, if you don't see a drone video, like you want to have an interactive experience online and COVID has even made that more relevant and requirement that if we can't see virtually walk through something, I'm not going to waste my time or risk going through someone's home and infecting them and all that kind of stuff, unless I am really sold on what I see on the internet first. Over the years, what has changed about the way that you work with buyers? That has been a huge transition. Buyers used to depend so much on realtors to bring the information to them, introduce properties to them. Today, again, through marketing, they're getting all the information. They're able to do their research. So instead of be, being the ones introducing and saying, this is what I think you should do, we've become more and more consultants as opposed to uh, people that are introducing properties. Um, and again, you know, one of the one of the simple changes that has happened is I would spend my Saturdays and Sundays and evenings and whatnot driving customers around in my vehicle from home to home to home. Today, it has become uh, I'll meet you at the property again because of lack of inventory. It's not like that we have 15 homes to show, but it wasn't rare for me to show 15 or 20 homes to one client in one day. Uh, back in the 90s. That was normal. And that's what we did. And at the end of that, we were writing up offers. Today, it has transitioned into, I will do my own research, I will pick the listings that I want, and then I will decide which ones I want to see. And then I'll meet you there. I don't need to be in the same car as you. And that so that's a drastic change that's happened. Well, then on the flip side of that, of course, is dealing with people who are selling their home. How has that changed? A lot of that is still the same in that in the interaction. That's still a one-on-one -on -one in person. Uh, you've got to sort of see it, feel it, have a have have interaction face to face with the seller. That's something that we cannot do virtually. Although many agents have tried, I don't know if they've been successful at it. I personally still show up at every single listing that I'm taking. I meet with the seller. I have a discussion. I walk through their home. The Major change is when the offer comes in. 
When that offer comes in, instead of camping out at their home at 11.30 p.m. saying you've got a half an hour to make a decision because this offer is going to expire at midnight, and that whole secrecy is like the suspense of not sharing information, that has now gone away. And ethically, it should have gone away a long time ago. Today, when I receive an offer on a seller's home, I email it directly to the seller right away so they have plenty of time to look at the offer, make their own decision, have their own uh, considerations and, and conversations with each other. Um, and a lot of it is now done electronically. So there, there is no high pressure tactic uh, salesmanship involved in uh, transacting anymore. The information is available. The comparables are available. There are so many platforms on the internet that you can go on and basically figure out what your house is worth and what you should be expecting to get and what the other homes have sold for. So realtors have just become in a situation where we are consultants and we are interpreting the information that they are reading and saying how it applies to their particular situation or their home. How has the way that uh, buyers and sellers interact with their banks or, or with the uh, legal representation changed over the years? It's become a lot more non-personal, which is uh, unfortunate in my uh, opinion. Uh, there used to be a time that you had a banker and you met with that banker and you had a relationship with that banker. And that banker had the ability and the authority to uh, override based on your situation. Today, all of this underwriting and whatnot has gone to head office. Now, I will say that um, some of my friends in, in the big banks um, still have that one-on-one -on -one, uh, interaction with the clients, and I'm really pleased that they do that. Uh, but for the most uh, vast positions of the banker has become, it's through uh, underwriting departments, there's head office, there's different layers. And, you know, it's basically calling a 1-800 number. Lawyers, I believe there's still some personal interaction that happens, mostly right at the end of the closing. But again, they are all very busy and they have a lot of paperwork that's going on. So that one-on-one -on -one interaction, I think in all aspects of real estate has really started declining. And I'd love to see it come back because it is the biggest purchase that someone's going to make. And they definitely des deserve the courtesy of the time of that professional. Uh, over the past 33 years, I'm sure there's been a lot of changes when it comes to actually just dealing with the procedures around real estates and, and, and real estate and the documents as well. Even, even in the past year, things have changed a lot, haven't they? Yes, they have. And, the, you know, we have become, you know, in a paperless society, we've, be, we've been papered to death. There are so many waivers and riders and policies and regulations and rules and um, disclosures and all kinds of red tape that has come into the marketplace. And again, it's for the protection of everyone that's involved. So there are certain clauses that must be inserted. For example, if you buy a home, um, in the old days, we didn't have a death, murders, or suicide clause. So now we have one of these that says, are you aware of any deaths, murders, or suicides in your home? And you have to disclose that. And all of this is a result of you know, perhaps buying a home and finding out that somebody was murdered in that home. And you're thinking, well, somebody should have disclosed that to me. And the realtor says, I didn't know. And the seller says, well, I told my realtor that, you know, somebody was shot in my house. Extreme example. But 
these are the types of things that have led to all of these additional clauses having urea formaldehyde, asbestos, um, sales contracts, uh, solar panels. There's so much stuff that's involved now around real estate that all these disclosures have to come in. COVID has created another layer of disclosures. You know, have you been infected? Who's coming into the house? You know, all of this type of thing. So we're seeing a lot of paperwork that has been added and a lot of documentation. Now, the ease part of it is the electronic side of it. So we are now able to use DocuSign, e-signatures, that recognizes a legal document. So the interaction on the signing, but the, the caveat there is, when I send 18 pages through a DocuSign or e-signatures, um, the onus is really on the consumer or the seller or the buyer to read and interpret and understand that because I'm not sitting across the table from that client explaining every single line of that contract. So it becomes very important for the buyer to have a proper understanding, the seller to have a proper understanding of what exactly they're signing. Thanks for much. Thanks so much for joining us today on Ask the Experts. My guest, Faisal Susie Well, is back with us from Remax Twin City Realty. Call him at 519-624-5555 or go online to homeshack.com. On the show today, we're, we're kind of uh, taking a stroll down memory lane, going back to the start of Faisal's career and talking about what has changed in real estate over the years. And back you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, I don't remember very much hearing about real estate teams, but now I hear about them all the time. What's going on with that, Faisal? It's another, I guess, evolution, let's call it, of real estate. And it's basically a mini brokerage within a brokerage. So I, as a, an agent, may say, well, you know what? I've got a lot of business on my plate here. So I'm going to start uh, adding people as part of my group, part of my team to help me get listings, to help me sell homes. Now, I did not adapt to that. I did not take that uh, business sort of uh, plan into consideration for my business. I am still a sole agent. I do not have a team. When you call me, you get me. Uh, you don't get someone that has just been registered. Um, and, and a lot of people are surprised when they call and, and to sell their home and they see me appear uh, simply because most of the agents that have been in the business for a long time have decided to take the uh, route of having a team, um, which again, there's nothing wrong with it. But I find that the personal, and we were talking about this before the break, that personal interaction is gone. And I still enjoy that very much. I want to have all aspects of that transaction um, handled by me so that the seller knows that the person they called for is the one that they're going to be dealing with throughout that transaction. So up next uh, on the topic list is infrastructure. How has infrastructure changed in real estate? We're seeing larger, you know, offices, we're seeing glitzier offices, we're seeing more technology, we're seeing, uh, again, we were talking about training. Um, this is something that's really evolved. It's not, no longer that sort of uh, corner store um, community brokerage. It's become a large business infrastructure. Uh, I remember starting out, uh, we had a basically... A, a bullpen and there would be 20 agents sitting in this 
small area and everybody's on the phone and everybody's sort of in one big room, whereas now it's becoming independent offices, you have assistants, you have, uh, a, you know, sub infrastructures set up within your, your office, you have your own um, team set up. So that's the the major change that has happened. And yes, you may have a broker, but then you have a manager and then you have some more admin staff. So there's so many different layers that, that have been added. And I guess there was a need for it because as people were expanding and creating these teams, they needed more space, they needed more collaborative uh, space to work within. And uh, that's that's been one of the major changes. So it's no longer that little um, real estate office at the corner of the street that uh, serves that community only. What, in your view, over 33 years has changed when it comes to professionalism? Well, in, in certain aspects, it has improved. We're seeing that, but in other aspects, I, I find that the professionalism has declined. So where it has improved is on the education side, on the information side, um, it has definitely improved. But on the interaction side, uh, I see a lot of unprofessional activity that occurs in real estate. And you just sort of scratch your head and say, you know, this is not good for our industry. It doesn't speak well to our industry. And uh, it, it really saddens me when I see that, uh, that we're losing that um, in one way ethics, but in another way, just morals and values and just that, hey, look after people the way you want to be looked after yourself. That leads right into the next thing I wanted to talk about. Let's have a brief discussion about sales tactics and how they have, have morphed over the years. You know, in one way, the sales tactics have disappeared. And so it's no longer, hey, have I got a deal for you type of environment or, or shoving something down someone's throat that they don't really want. And they're just, you know, being pressured into something. Because as we spoke earlier, information is so readily available that it's not something that you can just pull the wool over someone's eyes anymore because they can get the information. If you state something, that information can be fact-checked to make sure that it's true. Make sure that, you, you know, if you told someone that the house down the street sold for $50,000 less than what you're expecting your seller to sell their home for, that seller can very easily verify that information. 20 years ago, it wasn't easily verified. So a lot of that has created, um, you know, a little bit more uh, professionalism on that sense, but the sales tactics have almost disappeared because we're not in a position to sell people on things anymore. We're there to hold their hand, interpret the information and guide people and give them basically be a consultant and provide information and interpret the information that they are seeing so that they can make an informed decision without being pressured into something. And when it comes to investing in real estate, how have the, the methods for investors changed? I'm pleased to see that over the years, people have had a shift in their mindset to building wealth as opposed to making the quick buck. So, you know, the flipping, the quick in and out, that isn't happening as much and, and, and that could be a result of the deals not being there. That could be a result of inventory not being there. That could be a result of too many buyers uh, that are chasing the same property. And then the upside for flipping is just not 
there anymore. But I love to see people having a thoughtful investment strategy. And I talk a lot about this in my book that building wealth is more important than that quick dollar to make and just keep churning that. Because when you're building wealth, you're thinking long term, you're thinking retirement, you're thinking what you can pass on to your children, you're thinking about the money that you can leverage and take out of that transaction or that property so that you can continue building your wealth. And it's building a, a solid future. So I, that's one of the things that, you know, I speak in, in quite length with, with my clients is always think about how to create a larger real estate portfolio, uh, how to create wealth and how to leave some sort of a legacy behind for your children, because they're going to have a tough time in the next 10 to 15 years to get into the real estate market. Well, with a couple of minutes left, you mentioned the book. Let's talk about it. Strangely enough, almost everything we've discussed on the show today is is in the book. It is. It is. Well, yes, it's been a year. September 10th was when I launched the book last year. And so it's been a full year and uh, it's been just just great. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had an opportunity to go out and, uh, and really do any sort of marketing or launching the book in public, but it's been all online and uh, it's going very well and it's been well, very well received. Uh, it has done what I had hoped it would do, which is, first of all, inspire a lot of young people to really dive into what it is they're looking for in life and to encourage them not to give up because they don't fit that mold that, you know, maybe some of their friends are just going to university, getting an education, getting a job. I wasn't that kid that wanted to do that. I wanted to do something on my own and I achieved that. And if you, if somebody's reading that book, they'll see that, yeah, it's got a lot of hurdles and there's a lot of roadblocks and there's a lot of challenges. But if you really are invested in what you feel you want to do in life, you're going to be successful at it. And let's one more time, tell us the full title of the book, uh, Faisal. The, the book is called The Real Deal, Journey of a Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. And it talks about basically my life, my strategies, my investment ideas. Uh, it's great for investors who are looking at uh, building wealth in their portfolio and how to get involved in that. And uh, and, and anybody who's interested is uh, welcome to reach out to me anytime. And it's available on Amazon uh, as a physical book and also as an audio book. Show flew by again. Faisal, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, David. If you still have questions for Faisal Suzy Wall of Remax Twin City Realty, get them answered by calling 519-624-5555 or learn more online at homeshack.com. Com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next Saturday with more of Ask the Experts here on 570 News. There we go. Good show.